0: Don't know what it is, you Oklahoma
1: has been it. Excellence has been established by Coach Wilkinson, Coach Switzer, and Coach Stuartz. It's my responsibility to defend that standard and to build upon that standard. Welcome to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. With your host, Jesse Curtain and Brian Clinton.
2: Hello, Sooner Nation, OU Insider, subscribers, coach, Brian Clinton, fanatics, Bedlam Rivalry rivalry, haters. I can't even say Rivalry right, correctly, Brian. Um, That's how I feel about the rivalry after Saturday. um, People who are, are bored on a Thursday, people who love college football, this podcast for you is for you. My name is Jesse Crittenden. This is the latest episode of the Oklahoma Drill fueled by OU Insider and the Rivals Network. And I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Coach Brian Clinton. Brian, I see you have a hat that has Norman Mm. in big letters on top of white hat. And I got to tell you, I love that hat. Where'd you you get that hat?
0: Uh, That would be... I need to let me let me find his his Twitter handle real quick for you, because this is I told him I'd give him a a shout, a shout out. So John B. Kennedy right. is the name, and that would be at Bearded Sooner. He is selling these. He's also going to send a, uh, a reverse option of this one here before too long when they get those. So give him a shout out there. Uh, love the hat. I'm glad that, uh, glad that I got on board with him on that. So otherwise, um, it's been a rough week, uh, in and around Norman. Um, but you know, there's, there's a chance to turn things around this week, put it behind you. So, uh, looking forward to that. But, um, where, where's your mind at? What's your mindset like right now?
2: Well, let's make it clear, for one, that while I do have a beard, and it is a red beard at that, I am not the bearded Sooner. I am not the one that made the hat. So let's make that clear. First of all, that is the work of John. Uh, that is not me. Two, Brian, to be honest with you, this has been an interesting week because as as OU fans or or college football fans who, who follow – uh, everything that's going around the country knows this is a this is a little bit of a weird week for OU football. After starting seven and zero, think about where this team was a month ago mm-hmm. uh, with a win against Texas. I think OU wasn't only just atop the Big Twelve; they were kind of atop the big uh, across the the college football landscape. And now, after back to back losses, especially uh, at you know for the quote unquote final Bedlam at least the last bedlam for the foreseeable future, things are a little bit different than they were a month ago. I mean, that's the reality. So I think it's been an interesting week. I've done some radio hits, um, talked to players and coaches, talked to people around the program. It's crazy how different things can be, not mm. only week to week, but, you know, but two weeks, how how much can change. Brian, you, were, you and I, uh, along with our colleagues, uh, Parker and Brandon, We're in Stillwater at Boom Picking Stadium for a a bedlone game that was a little bit more meaningful, not only just for the big picture landscape, uh, but for this season. You know, OU needed to win this game to remain in control of the Big 12 title, uh, or at least, you know, a spot in that game, and they didn't get it. They lost 27 to 24 in front of a, a rowdy, loud, Stillwater crowd they lost 27 to 24 in a game that I think I think either team whatever team lost this game I think was going to feel gut punched because there Mm. were opportunities I think both both sides to win this game but I think particularly for Oklahoma who held a 21 17 for a large part of the second half uh, to come away with a loss I think was disappointing but Brian you were on the field. I think that, you know, I think this is one of those games that I think, you know, it's been a few days since that game, but I think fans are still kind of chewing on this game a little bit, not only for the big picture, but what it means for this season, Brian, what was your overall takeaway from a, from a three point loss at Boone pick stadium?
0: That <laughs> it, it's been crazy it would almost sound crazy to say this uh in, in past years but it's just the case uh, the the defense played more than good enough to win the football game and it truly was the offense that cost oklahoma the football game um again that that almost sounds weird because oklahoma football has been synonymous with great offense for I mean forever, for a long time. I mean, good dating back to the triple option days, it's been Oklahoma's offense uh, and obviously back then with with a great defense has been what helped them win national championships throughout the years, but here as of late, it's been all about offense and and that's just that just wasn't the case last week. Um 24 points against Oklahoma State's defense just isn't it's just not, it's not good enough. That, that is not, that's not a terrific defensive team. Um, you know, obviously very, very fired up uh, fan base and, and very, very rowdy. Uh, I, I will say this is the first time that I'd ever been on the field for, for uh, a Bedlam game, obviously the last one, but the, the way that the stadium is set up, fans are like right on top of you eight feet above the action. And it's, it's, I mean, it's an incredible venue to watch a football game. Um, But uh, I mean, clearly the offense was, was out of sorts a lot. I mean, you had, you had more false start penalties, you had bad snap issues. It's clear that the, that the environment played at least something of a role in this game. And I think that just points back to Oklahoma, not doing the little things, right. Uh, which is really what hurt them at the end of the day. And, and that's that's ironic because, I mean, that's one of the staples of, of Brent Venable's philosophy is everything matters. The little things matter. They pile up and they become big things. And unfortunately, over the last couple of weeks, that's been Oklahoma's big problem is the little things.
2: You're right. And I think look no further than, you know, OU losing the turnover battle three to one. Oklahoma State won the t- won the points off turnovers battle 10 to nothing. And mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think you're I completely agree about the defense cuz here's the thing. Oklahoma State had 400 480 total yards, which doesn't sound great on its head. Oklahoma State drove right down the field on the first first possession of the game. The OU defense didn't look good. But I think largely the OU defense settled in Mm. I thought that OU defense played pretty well for the most part. They limited Ollie Gordon in a lot of his explosive runs. Ollie Gordon is obviously an incredible running back, uh, probably should uh, go to New York at at the end of the regular season if Oklahoma State finishes this season like we expect them to. But I think you're right, Brian. But it's also weird from an offensive perspective because, you know, OU had 492 total yards. They ran the ball as well as they have all season. Oh, you had five and a half yards per carry. That's that's way better than they've run the ball all year. Um, We saw Dylan Gabriel in this passing attack at times attack Oklahoma State down the field, but I think that's that dichotomy is like OU and OSU almost had the same amount of total yards, but I actually thought the defense played really well, and I thought the offense didn't do enough. To win this game i thought the defense gave mm-hmm. them chances they stopped oklahoma state back to back fourth and ones in the second half and the in the ou offense when they had chances to either extend the lead or or seal the win especially on that last possession they had a chance to go down like they did against texas like they did against kansas and win the game they couldn't do it and i think that leads us to here's i mean the the thing is brian that since that loss against, against Oklahoma State, really since the loss against Kansas, there's been a lot of questions not only about the offense, but about offensive coordinator Jeff Levy. And I think it's an interesting thing to look at because there are moments where the offense has looked really good. Uh, through the first six weeks, the offense looked good. Against Oklahoma State, there were moments where the offense looked good. But you're 7-2, and two, which sounds really good. but But thinking about where this team was a month ago, it's mm-hmm. not good. It's bad. All of a sudden, OU could certainly miss the Big 12 title game, which I think is a disappointment from where this team was after the Texas win. So, Brian, I know uh, you did uh, you did a uh, you did a live stream of the game until YouTube. I do. We we want we want <laughs> talk we want talk about that, <laughs> but I know you've gone back and watched the game a ton. You you've you've looked at the plays. You've been at every game just like I have been. When it comes to the Jeff Levy criticism, I know you've seen it just like everybody else has. When it comes to the last two games, how much is Jeff LeBby and the play calling deserve to be at fault? How much is it is how much of it is this the players not executing? I mean, this offense has 6 turnovers the last 2 weeks after having just 5 the first 7 games. OU is the most penalized team in a big 12. How much is it? How much of it is the play calling? How much of it is players execution and, and not doing so? So
0: for me, it's, it's really hard to be totally. I don't feel like you can blame a loss subjectively on one aspect. There are always 22 players on the field at all times. And when one of those guys doesn't do their job, the variables change with every play. There's so much, I mean, that's why we see some of the crazy outcomes that we do um, year in and year out. There's just so much that can change with just a single play. However, the situational play calling has been an issue. And I don't think that I'm going out on a limb saying that. Now, do I think Jeff Levy deserves to be fired for that? No, not at all. I, I don't think uh, you don't have to look back that far for him to have just fantastic showings as an offensive coordinator. I mean, his game against Texas, I think, should have earned him more grace than it has. And I'll even go as far as to say outside of maybe three or four calls against Oklahoma state. I think Jeff Levy called a fantastic game uh, against Oklahoma state. Now execution is where the issue comes in. If Nick Anderson catches the ball down the sidelines behind the Oklahoma state defense, we're having a different discussion. If Brennan Thompson is able to break up, uh, if he's able to switch and play defensive back there for a second and, and keep an interception from happening down the field, We're having a different football. We're having a different discussion. If 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 Javante Barnes doesn't fumble the snap, we're having a different discussion. I mean, there it's just so hard to to place blame on, on somebody. Now, I will say this about Jeff Levy. I think we are starting to realize that his maturity as a play caller still has some growth that needs to there's still some growth that needs to happen there. I I I think You know, I don't know this for a fact, but I think it's become at least pretty apparent to my eye that Jeff Levy may not have had as much to do with the play calling in game uh, while he was under Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss and and with Josh Heupel at UCF. Uh, Obviously both of those guys are among the best names in college football when it comes to uh, offensive play calling. Um, Obviously, he was still the offensive coordinator there, but I think that that title probably had more to do with game prep throughout the week. Uh, obviously, helping out with things uh, when it when it came to uh, figuring out potential weaknesses of of the opponent and things like that on game day. But as far as the play to play calling, I, I think that this uh, his tenure here at Oklahoma thus far is probably the real uh, the first time that he's been truly responsible for that part of the game and, and on top of that I think Brent Venables is giving him as much rope as I mean you're, it's kind of it's his thing uh, I mean this is this is totally 100% uh, Jeff Levy's thing and and again Brent Venables as a head coach he talks about delegating and trusting his position coaches and coordinators um, to, to do their job that's why you hire them but i think we're seeing a balancing act try to be uh try to be figured out on the fly here how how much does a head coach need to step in when it comes to decisions uh being made on on fourth down uh with a game on the line versus uh what are you comfortable with trusting a guy that's still getting you know his feet wet as a play caller and just a second year calling plays full time um You know, again, I I think that they can turn this thing around. If Oklahoma has a great performance offensively Saturday night uh, and they come out and run the ball effectively and Dylan Gabriel starts to look like the guy we saw the first six weeks of the season, you know, I think a lot of this goes quiet because winning cures a lot of things. But with it being the hot topic, I do think it's worth saying Jeff Levy's job should not be in jeopardy, Um, but obviously – things do need to improve going forward, or that noise is just going to continue getting louder and louder.
1: This episode of the Oklahoma drill podcast is brought to you in part by prize picks prize picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS because it's just you against the numbers. So instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. With the basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, which is a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you can pick LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made plus receptions. Want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find Community Plays under the Promos tab of the app. To view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week, this weekend I like former Sooner running back Joe Mixon to find the end zone for the Cincinnati Bengals in a matchup against the Houston Texans. His projection: zero point five touchdowns. So guess what? Joe Mixon finds the end zone. You win money from Prize Picks if you go with my play. You can go to PrizePicks.com/slash/insider and use code Insider for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. Again, PrizePicks.com/slash/insider. And use code Insider for a first deposit match up to one hundred dollars. Prize Picks daily fantasy sports made easy.
2: Uh, to that last point you just made, Brian, I kind of just said this on the YouTube live with with Parker. I think, I think like both things can be true. Like criticism can be warranted, but once you start asking for somebody's job, mm-hmm. you always have to think about who are you replacing them with. Who are you grabbing off the street? Who? What other, what other person across the college football landscape are you bringing in to call plays? And it's not only just about their capabilities to call plays, but it's also about do they fit within the way Brett Venables runs a program? That's the other thing. But I mm-hmm. think the confusing part is I'm not saying criticism isn't warranted. I, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I think with where this team was a month ago, the way the last two weeks have gone is genuinely disappointing. It, it just is. Sure. Um, and and I also think it's not, I think in a weird way, one thing that hasn't been talked about is how did, did, I think the I think the warning signs were sort of showed against both SMU and Cincinnati. Now SMU has done really well in their conference this year. Cincinnati has not. Cincinnati has not been a player in the Big 12 conference but that's a game OU barely won. I mean, I think that's a game that if a couple plays don't go OU's way, we might be talking about things differently. Now I'm not saying in the I'm not necessarily saying the benefit of hindsight, but it has been I think there have been things there have been warning signs the difference is OU really won the turnover battle the first 7 weeks. They have not the last 2 weeks. They've lost the turnover battle 6 to 4. They're losing points off turnovers 23 to 13. And that's huge. When you're talking about two losses by a combined eight points, the other side of it is, uh, the defense is obviously dealing with injuries. Danny Stutzman missed on Saturday. Peyton Bowen's obviously not fully healthy. Gentry Williams is not fully healthy. Offensively. I don't think this team has been the same without that. Anthony just hasn't been, um, I think the injuries to Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawtruck early in the year um have have caused the running or have caused personnel decisions to be weird. You mentioned Dalen Smothers. He hadn't played since the Tulsa game, but yeah, he's seeing five critical snaps in the second half. You you mentioned the Javante Barnes fumble. He didn't play for five weeks. He saw big snaps against Kansas. He saw two snaps against Oklahoma State. I I, I mean, you look at the the wide receiver room where Jaden Gibson, who's made good catches all year, contested catches, saw one snap against Oklahoma State. I I think that's almost my biggest thing, and that's not even necessarily specifically about Jeff Lebby. I think the personnel decisions at times have been confusing, but it's this weird dichotomy where it's like it's not that injuries aren't a factor because they are. But I think that's almost made, maybe been the most confusing part of times, not to mention the offensive line that saw a lot of rotation against Kansas. But on Saturday, or against Oklahoma State, it's Andrew Rame, mccain Matower, Walter Rouse, Caden Green, and Tyler Guyton playing all every single snap. There's just, I don't know, Brian, do, do, have things seemed a little bit uneven or maybe a little confusing at times when it comes to personnel decisions? I,
0: bewildering is is the person, is the word that I would choose uh, to, to try and understand what personnel decisions have been made uh, or how they've been made. I Look, Javante Barnes made a big mistake. For him to not see the field again with Tawi Walker not at 100%, and the next guy up being Dalen Smothers, and no offense to Dalen Smothers, I think he's going to be a fantastic athlete and player for this team moving forward. But to throw him in in his first real meaningful snaps in an extremely hostile environment, and you're throwing the ball to him out on the perimeter, the third down. I, yeah, I mean it's just it's it's just so that's so tough. That's a tough situation to put a guy uh, no less a freshman in, and so um, you know, yeah, I've been, I've been really, I've just wondered what, what, what's going on with some of the, and it's, it's, you know, more or less, it's, it's really been the offensive side of the ball. That's been more, uh, questionable, I guess, for, for lack of a better term with the personnel decisions. I mean, Austin Stogner struggled this last week. Now I know that he is the most experienced guy that you have, and I'm not saying that you need to throw Josh Fanuel into the into the mix in in Bedlam or anything like that, but we've heard a couple of times at least that you know he's he's a really good athlete and has shown some promise. We've seen Blake Smith do some things. Um, You know, you've got to get some of those other guys in the mix, and when a guy like Stogner's is struggling, you've got to start seeing some of those other things. Some of those other guys get chances. And so it's been really weird. And and the, the running back rotation, which has been a question mark all season long um, you know, I I did feel probably more confident coming out of Oklahoma state than I have for the rest of the year uh, to this point that I think Gavin Sawchuk and Tawee Walker can be, a really really strong one two punch in the running game. I don't know what that means for Javante Barnes going forward, but if if Saturday was was any uh, was any uh, preface to what we're going to see from him, you know, if the mistakes happen, I, I think that you can pretty much count him out for for the rest of the go. So yeah, uh, offensive offensive uh, rotations have been odd, and then you know defensively. You've had some injuries, uh, that have kept some guys out, but, but, uh, still trying to figure it out. And here we are heading into week 11.
2: I think defensively, if you're looking at any positives and I wrote about this at OU I think Kobe McKenzie and Kip Lewis at linebacker played mm. really well. Oh yeah. Last Saturday, red shirt, freshman, uh, Kip Lewis, according to pro football focus played 83 of 84 total snaps. Um, I think they both played really well. Kobe McKenzie, I think, finished with the sixth highest performance grade. Like, of course, that all comes with sort of the downside of Jaron Cannick, who has been not personally against him, but it's been a disappointment the last mm-hmm. three weeks. Um, but I think you're right. I think, and I mentioned this on the live, Brian, but it's one of those things that like, you know, someone like Peyton Bowen, who's not fully healthy, but he's still seen snaps, just not very many. Mm-hmm. The last three weeks, look at someone like Talie Walker who wasn't fully healthy. Against like Oklahoma State, but he still saw snaps. It's almost like this weird, like halfway in instead of either going a f- like like being fully in or being fully out. It's like this weird, like halfway thing, and and. I think it was also weird from a running back perspective to have someone like Gavin Sawchuck who only saw four carries in the second half after really, or in the second half, after dominating the first half. I think that's kind of where the confusion is for me, or someone like Brennan Thompson who played less than 10 snaps. When I just I think that's been the bigger confusions to me, Brian, but look, you and I talked last week. We said this was a must win game or Oklahoma State was a must-win game. Mm -hmm. We said that not only because it's the last Bedlam, but also to remain in control of their Big 12 destiny. Here's the reality. Oklahoma's not in control of of their Big 12 destiny anymore. They're just not. They need a lot of things to go their way. But it not only feels like this game against West Virginia is still a must-win game to remain to have some sort of big 12 hopes, but it also feels like a must win game for the state of this program moving forward. And again, that's kind of a crazy thing to say, given how the vibes were a month ago, Mm -hmm. but all of a sudden I think if this team falls to seven and three things are only going to spiral more downward. We saw Brent Venables on Tuesday at his press conference. That was pretty testy. I think he was pretty frustrated, uh, I think he was very defensive, but also I think it's pretty clear he's not fully happy with everything. It's not going to be easy, Brian, against the West Virginia team. That's six and three, but a miracle Hail Mary against Houston from being seven and two overall, five and one in the conference. And again, this West Virginia team would love nothing more than to beat Oklahoma at Owen Field on Saturday. It's going to be a night game, it's 6 p.m. Uh, this is the second-to-last home game for Oklahoma, but in a weird way, you know, two years ago West Virginia or Oklahoma barely beat West Virginia 16 to 13. Then obviously last year West Virginia beat Oklahoma 23 to 20, and this West Virginia team has a lot of the same guys from last year. This is not an easy game, and in a weird way, this almost feels like a must-win game for a bigger picture for Oklahoma. So Brian, I know you've been looking at West Virginia film. I know you understand the stakes. What has stood out to you from watching this West Virginia team?
0: Well, real quick, before I I jump into that, I just want to say, isn't it weird that this is the last time under the lights, we're going to see a big 12 conference game on Owen field. It is. It's the last time we're going to see them play a night game, uh, in the big 12. So just make sure you're taking that in whenever you're, whenever you're there. Um, as far as West Virginia goes, this team's physical, man. I mean, they're just – they they want to come in and impose their will. Their offensive line has done a really good job. Uh, I mean, you know, BYU is, is a bit short-handed right now, and they're still trying to transition into, into becoming a true Big 12 team. But they they got bullied, I mean, bad, <laughs> this last week against West Virginia. Um, you know, what the, the Mountaineers kind of did whatever they wanted to. C.J. Donaldson – is a tight end playing running back he he goes about 240 and it runs downhill um it is very agile for his size and and, and they've got jaheem white who kind of came on strong was their leading rusher last week and so they're going to really try and control uh the game with the running game and the other thing that they want to do is play keep away they they had the ball for 37, I, I believe, over 37 minutes against Oklahoma last year when they won 23 uh, 23 20, I believe, was the final. There, um, they're averaging almost 34 minutes uh, time of possession this year, which is fourth in the country and number one in the Big 12. And so, what they want to do is is get uh, they want to get ahead of the chains on first down. And keep those drives just slowly rolling methodically down the field, and keep the ball away from the Oklahoma offense. Uh, defensively, West Virginia is—I I wouldn't say—I I wouldn't use the word special. Um, They're—they're not—they're not particularly special defensively. They're good. Uh, they don't—they don't make a ton of mistakes especially early on in the game. I think the biggest problem that West Virginia has right now is depth uh, on, on defense. I think they've got a lot of, of guys that are are dealing with some injuries uh, particularly in the secondary. They've been pretty thin here recently, and you've seen some teams uh, be able to, to really uh, start putting points on the board later in games against them. Uh, Oklahoma state really, uh, really hurt them in the fourth quarter. With Ollie Gordon, he had two huge runs to to pull ahead and and uh, extend the lead there. So, uh, I think what you're going to see from from West Virginia is they're going to try and impose their will on on the ground, offensively and defensively. Um, you know, I guess there the, there would be two guys that stick out. Lee Lee, I can't even say his last name. Lee Koba is how it's. It looks like it would be Lee Kapagba, but it's Lee Koba, um, and he is there pretty much their Uh, he's their Danny Stutzman. He kind of just, he brings things together as their vocal leader. And then, uh, Beanie Bishop jr. Is a, is a Minnesota transfer. He leads the country in, in passes defended. Um, and I think it's by like six, he's got 21 on the year. Uh, so he leads it by kind of wide margin. So, long story short, they play, they play defensively, uh, very physically. And then, and offensively, they just want to run it down your throat and use uh, some boot off of that with Garrett green. So, um, it's going to be a tough challenge for Oklahoma. This is not an easy game. Uh, and you know, it's not the typical West Virginia games that we've seen in years past where they like to come in and, and really light up the scoreboard like the last time or the last, you know, under before Neil Brown took over. So, uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting. It'll be fun. Uh, but definitely a tough challenge for the Sooners.
2: You're muted. You're muted. Park. Okay. So I want to clarify one thing. <laughs> Parker did this twice during the YouTube <laughs> live. So if I only do it once, then I am still ahead of the curve. <laughs> that <laughs> that Parker's superior. To, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm saying I'm better than Parker. Thune. There you go. <laughs> that's what I'm saying um look i totally agree with you you're right um i think with this west virginia team they're really interesting to look at because look they're six and three on the season their first loss came in the season opener against penn state who i think is a legitimate candidate for the college football playoff Mm -hmm. their second loss came against houston in a two-point loss that was pretty crazy at the end of that game if you saw that and Houston converted on a last second Hail Mary, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that
0: cra- craziest game of 2023 to this it point. Was,
2: it was yeah. wild. And in you simulate that game 99 out of 100 times. West Virginia wins that game. Yep. Their third loss came in a 14 point loss at Oklahoma State, 48 to 34. But in their last two games since then, they beat UCF 41 to 28 at UCF, which, again, a reminder, OU beat UCF 31 to 29 in Norman, a game that OU had to have not only a two point conversion stop, but they barely, they barely held on to the onside kick after that to seal the win. Then they beat BYU 37 to seven. But I think the main thing is this West Virginia team is really good at running the ball. They're seventh in the country in rushing offense They're averaging 208 yards per game, or excuse me, 218 yards per game. They have 20, they have 23 rushing touchdowns on this even on the season. They're averaging 4.8 yards per carry. And Garrett green is a mobile quarterback. He's genuinely a mobile quarterback. He gave Oklahoma troubles last year in Morgantown and, He's been he's been really good as a mobile quarterback this season. He has eight rushing touchdowns on the year. He's averaging over fifty three rushing yards a, a game. That's a problem when you talk about the problems that Oklahoma had defending John Rice Pumley at UCF. Um, you know the the problems that Oklahoma had defending Jason Bean at Kansas. This is not an easy game. It's really not. And so, to me, I am looking at it from an Oklahoma defensive standpoint. I think it has to be the same perspective they've had the last three weeks against UCF, Kansas, and Oklahoma state. It has to be not only stopping the run, but limiting Garrett green, make him a passer. Mm-hmm. And then offensively this, this UC or this West Virginia offense has been average at defending both the run in the pass. They don't really have a weakness. They've been okay at both. So to me, I don't think you have to change anything from a play calling perspective, but Brian, if, if you had to look at one key, what is, what is one thing Oklahoma absolutely has to do to get a win on Saturday?
0: So I'm going (laughs) to, Eliminating self-inflicted mistakes is like the 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 easy answer, so I'm not going to say that. I'm going to be a little more specific, and I'm going to say win on first down, and that's both offensively and defensively. Here's why. Offensively, you have to stay on the field because I think this is going to be a game where Oklahoma is potentially limited on the amount of possessions that they're going to get. Just looking at what West Virginia does – um they are going to try and control the ball control the clock and uh keep keep things rolling on that side of the ball so when Oklahoma can get ahead of the chains on first down and play well on that side obviously it's going to lead to more points down the road defensively playing well on first down means putting West Virginia behind the chains and when you do that you're forcing them to have to throw the football on second third down you're making them more predictable and therefore you're giving yourself more opportunities to get their offense off the field and get the ball back in, in your offense's hands. So uh, being, being good on, on first down is going to be a key in this game, uh, both offensively and defensively, because, again, you're, you're going to need to make the most of your, of your possessions, and getting more possessions for Oklahoma is going to lead
2: to more opportunities for points. I completely really agree with you. I think here's the thing. This is the thing that we've said the last three weeks. This is a game that athletically, talent-wise, this is a game Oklahoma should win. West Virginia is a good team. And even at home, not only is this a good team that's going to be hard to beat, but I think Oklahoma, you're feeling the pressure of two straight losses after being on top of the college football world a month ago but also I think trying to get your season back on track to remain having a chance in the big 12 standings. And here's the reality. I think Oklahoma, this is one of those weird games that is both equally important for both this season and the future moving forward. So we look at the big 12 standings, Brian, Mm-hmm. This is this is a pretty tough spot for Oklahoma to be in. So Texas and Oklahoma State are now at the top of the conference, five and one conference records. You've got Kansas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma, and West Virginia and Iowa State all tied at four and two. It's so funny to think about a few weeks ago we were talking about how insane and and bad, or not bad maybe, but how confusing this conference was. It's kind of leveled out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But for Oklahoma, are you thinking more about trying to remain in Big 12 contention? Are you trying to think about about more stabilizing the team for this season, stabilizing the team moving forward into the SEC? Are you thinking about all of it? This, In a weird way, this weekend is an interesting game. It really is.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think you you have to – the biggest part of this – game being a must win is just you kind of nailed it It, it's stabilizing the program because right now it feels like Oklahoma's staggered again uh in 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 a uh using boxing terminology there uh it it, last last year we saw them hit the mat they went six and seven it hasn't happened uh since the turn of the century and and now you know you get out to a 7-0 and start and all of a sudden you've now suffered back-to-back losses uh two seasons in a row which is something i i don't believe it happened uh did that ever happen under bob stoops back-to-back losses i if, don't if it did it didn't happen very
2: often i did no yeah i, I want to say i don't believe so if it did it happened once or twice at yeah, most
0: right so you know this is this is kind of uncharted territory for for oklahoma fans anybody you know, our age or, or younger, we just, we just haven't seen that happen very often. And so unless you were, unless you were old enough to understand what was going on in the nineties under John Blake and, and, uh, uh, you just, you don't see this kind of stuff. And so, uh, Howard Schnellenberger, that's the other name I was trying to think of the old Michigan guy there. Uh, anyways, yeah, you just haven't seen this this happen, and so for this weekend, I think it really is about stabilizing the program. You get to eight and two, you stay in the Big Twelve race. You need Texas to lose a game. You probably need Kansas to lose a game uh, to get back where you want to. But getting to eight and two gives you the opportunity to still finish eleven and two. If that, I mean, at the end of the day. With all the disappointment that we've seen the last couple of weeks from from Sooner Nation, if you if you hang up, uh, if, if you take the, the the yearbook of 2023 Oklahoma and you put it up and they're eleven and two going into the SEC, you gotta feel really dang good about what's going on and, and where this this program's headed. So I think it's I think it's more about getting things back on track, showing that this team can be disciplined uh, and can do the things that it needs to do to win football games. Um, if they don't, I really don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to think about it because it will get worse than it's been the last couple of weeks and and that's hard to
2: believe That's a big thing. Look nineteen penalties the last two weeks. Mm. Oklahoma' is the most penalty or the most penalized team in the big twelve uh, per game, most penalty yards total in a big twelve discipline has been a big thing look there's a conspiracy in terms of how big 12 officials are looking at Oklahoma but the reality is look six false start penalties the last two weeks that's not officials Yep. that's the players on the field you can look at it a bunch of different ways but this team has not been disciplined but you're right Brian look before the season started I predicted this regular season would go 10 and 2 that is still that is still within it hasn't looked like maybe we thought it would but 10 and 2 is still absolutely in reach. Yep. Oklahoma will be favored, assuming they don't fall this weekend. They will be favored the rest of the regular season. 10 and 2 is still in play. 11 and 2 is still in play. If they finish 10 and 2, and especially 11 and 2, that's still not only a good season, but a marked improvement over last year. But if you drop to 7 and 3, after the conversation was beating Texas. I, I don't know if there's a loss on this schedule. They should be able to waltz to the Big 12 mm-hmm. title. That's a disappointment. And even with the injuries that we've talked about, falling to 7-3 and after the Texas win would be a disappointment. It just would be. So even if you're not looking at the Big 12 title, this is a game Oklahoma should win this weekend. But as far as Big 12 title hopes, for anybody that's still hoping, look, the college football playoff hopes are done. They just are. I'm sorry. They're done. Big 12 title hopes aren't necessarily done. They're not yet. But Oklahoma needs to win out. They just do. If you're looking across the landscape, is the easiest path include, I mean, does that include Texas losing and Kansas losing? Is that the easiest path? And obviously, plus Oklahoma winning out. Is that the easiest path to the Big 12 title?
0: Um, I think that's probably the most clear, but with as many teams that are sitting there at four and two, I think it could get really interesting. Um, Just because, you know, I think at some point you're not going to have... Okay, here's an example. Oklahoma State is going to UCF this weekend. FPI has... UCF winning that game 52.8% of the time and Oklahoma state is only a two and a half point favorite in that game. As crazy as that sounds, that's just what we're looking at. So if somehow Oklahoma state drops that game, they fall to four and two. Yes, they have the tiebreaker over Oklahoma, but they lost to Iowa state and Iowa state is also four and two. And Oklahoma has a tiebreaker over Iowa State, so things get really convoluted really quickly if another team falls to four and two, because you've got a lot of a lot of things that can happen between now and, and the end of the season. But if Texas was to fall and Oklahoma State, given that its schedule is so manageable from here on out, uh, at least to the to the eye, uh, if if Texas was to lose and Oklahoma was to win out. Uh, they would need Kansas to to drop a game to Kansas State and then, uh, you know, just see how the cards fall after that. I I think it's just it's going to be really, really tough to know exactly what this conference is going to look like if one of those two teams ends up dropping a game because there are so many different tiebreaker scenarios that could come into play, especially with that many teams in the fold.
2: Not saying it's a perfect thing, but Brian, I think you're right. I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, you're trying to project moving forward. I think the thing you're rooting for because it's the most likely scenario is a bedlam rematch in Arlington in December because Texas dropped one and Kansas dropped a game. I think that's what you're rooting for. But again, all of that includes Oklahoma winning out. If Mm -hmm. Oklahoma loses on Saturday, it doesn't matter. It does not matter what happens. They're done. They're gone. They're absolutely gone. Look, look. The loss against Oklahoma State hurt their chances significantly. A loss on Saturday against West Virginia completely, I mean, essentially completely removes their chances from making the Big Twelve title game. It just yeah, does. Hundred percent. So I think if you're Oklahoma, you're rooting against Texas. You're rooting against Kansas. You're rooting for a bedlam rematch in Arlington. That's what you're rooting for. So I think in a weird way it's almost more important for OU fans to be root or to be looking across the big 12 landscape more than anything, but heading to heading into this weekend, Brian, what, I mean, what's the last thing you would say to OU fans heading into the weekend, whether it's OU West Virginia, whether it's the, the the rest of the big 12 games or what are you looking at the most?
0: You're seven and two, not two and seven. I mean, I know that that's blunt, but, I mean, you have to look at, at the the body of work here uh, with what Brent Venables is, is doing. And, and, I mean, you don't have to look that far to see what the recruiting classes have looked like, uh, what those guys have been able to do out there on the trail, uh, what they're looking at going into next year. I mean, if if you don't believe that the offense is going to look totally different under Jackson Arnold next year – uh, than it does right now, and I'm not necessarily saying better, but the scheme is going to be. I mean, it's going to look totally different. Dylan Gabriel is 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 not going to be the guy. He he doesn't have the arm strength that that Jackson Arnold has, even at this point in their careers. I mean, I stood behind Jackson Arnold and uh, Dylan Gabriel pregame uh, earlier in the season. And was talking to Parker and we watched Dylan Gabriel. He has kind of like that throwing motion that Baker Mayfield did where it's you can tell he's putting everything he's got into the ball when he's throwing it deep. Um Jackson Arnold just kind of like flicked his wrist and the ball went 60 yards and it was just like this perfect spiral. Didn't even look like the ball was moving. The arm talent and that vertical game is going to be different next year. Um, but you still need to, you you need to enjoy the process as an Oklahoma fan. Because you were six and seven a year ago, the roster was in a complete uh, state of disarray, and you're building now. You are seven and two; still have the opportunity to go eleven and two. You just got to go. I, I think. I think they need to take a lot of uh, a lot out of Brent Venables' book. Go one and zero this week. That's all you should be worried about. Don't worry about what happened last week. Go one and zero this week, and everything else will take care of itself.
2: It's like we said last weekend. It's still true. It feels less true, but we said it last weekend. Beat Oklahoma State, a lot of the noise goes away. Maybe not all the noise goes away this weekend with a win over West Virginia, but eight and two feels a lot better than seven and two. That's quick, the reality.
0: Qu- quick question for you. Yeah. Is it crazy that the line is 13 points in this game? Yes.
2: Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, just making sure. Is.
0: I, I, it has not moved. It's actually gone up. It was at 12 points earlier this week and it's sitting at 13 now. And I just, to me, I was, I was just thinking, man, Vegas knows something that, that we don't, I don't know what that is.
2: (laughs) I'm not saying Oklahoma should be favored. They should be. They're the better team. They're the Mm -hmm. more talented team. They're at home. But considering that West Virginia is a really good team too. And that OU's lost back-to-back games. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm surprised they're essentially a two-touchdown favorite.
0: I would uh, I would have a hard time picking OU if this game was in Morgantown.
2: I, w- I agree. I totally so, agree. But anyways. No, I would too. But look, here's the thing. It's everything that we're just saying. 10-2 and two regular season feels maybe like a slight disappointment compared to where this team was a month ago. That's still an incredible progression compared to where this team was a month ago. Or compared to where this team was a year ago, but Oklahoma's got to go prove it. They go to West Virginia. They just do. Yep. Brian, that's gonna do it for us here at the Oklahoma drill. As people who watch us and listen to us regularly, they know to find us every Thursday. Everywhere you can get, you know, your podcasts, or you can go to OU Insider YouTube channel and watch us talk. If they like the way that you know our beautiful faces, if they like to watch us while we talk. <laughs> Um, but if it, you know, if nothing else, you can go to ouinsider.com. you can find plenty of inter- or information, plenty of stories, plenty of content from Brian and I, plus our recruiting guys, Parker through and Brandon drum. This is a big recruiting weekend this weekend. There's going to be a lot of things going on with national signing day, just a month and a half away. Basketball season is underway. You can find a lot of content about that from me and our new guy, Brody. There's a lot of things going on right now. Head over to OUinsider.com. Become a VIP subscriber. If nothing else, you can go to OUinsider's YouTube channel. Become a subscriber. There is content every day for you guys to check out. Brian, if nothing else, got another big game against West Virginia on Saturday. Do you have a prediction real quick before we go? 33-20. I think
0: they nail it
2: right on the head. 13 points. Ou thirty three twenty. Yep, I'm gonna say ou twenty eight twenty one. Like so, not don't cover, but still win. So we're both predicting an ou just win. win, just win, just win. We're predicting an ou win. Hopefully that is the case, and ou improves to eight and two. For everybody listening, I'm sure you're rooting for the same thing. Let's watch what happens this weekend. If nothing else, we'll be back with you guys next Thursday here on the Oklahoma Journal Podcast on the OU Insider YouTube channel. Have a good one.